Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor at PBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And I'm here as always with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now the amazing emotional intelligence coach. It's not good morning, it's good afternoon. It is. <laughs> but I love, I love that we're recording at night. It's actually shifted our energy because we're so used to just doing it in the morning, a little bit tired. Well, I'm more tired than you because you've like, exercise gazillion hours before we record or something and <laughs> I, I'm in my pajamas no bra and coming on zoom to see you so. and still looking stunning whereas I'm all sweaty and I've got my hat on and <laughs> 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 so we're definitely at different states in the morning so no it's uh-huh. been nice it's been nice uh-huh. to do an evening one now and then it is big time so how are things going for you for the last couple of weeks Good. Really getting into my Vedic meditation. It's coming up to two months or oh, two months today, actually. Still haven't missed today. Really enjoying it. And I'm I'm really feeling the effects of it. And I know remember I spoke to you when we first saw Glenn and we looked at his little article and I thought, oh yeah. People always say, you know, quick fixes, changes in 40 days. And I didn't really believe it because I've fallen for that so many times. But this one's worked. I think the impacts, the, the immediate impacts are even earlier than 40 days, aren't they? Yeah. It's just that it seems to bed in at that point. Yeah, it is. It's it's deep. It's It changes and I, I liken it to, not that I have had mental health medication before, but I liken it to what I think people with a mental health problem are like when they have medication and then they're like, oh, I'm cured. Like, it's all just mm-hmm. fine now. And then they go off their medication and realize how subtle and how important it was. I think that Vedic meditation is like that for an ordinary person, that it is so subtly changing the dynamics of stress and decision making yeah. and the undercurrents of how your brain works all day, that it's almost like it's such a magical change that you feel like I'm cured which is probably then why people start weaning off instead of making it like a lifelong practice. Yeah. And do you know what it keeps reminding me of? And I keep coming back to it. So all of these episodes that we've done, there's been a big theme of the, I can't remember the, the terminology, whack thump. The tap, the whack, the mac. That's it. That's it. And it keeps reminding me of that because that episode really hit home to me because I think we were both quite highly stressed ironically at the time that we were doing those episodes and I think it really rung true to us right remember I said to you I ended up googling like symptoms of like burnout at one point and I feel like we were close to the edge mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've we've weaned ourselves off the edge partly thanks to all of our amazing guests because it's brought back home to what we've got to do and then it's like this Vedic meditation is the icing on the cake to go wow we can actually feel really good and I feel like I almost feel like we've saved ourselves. And it sounds quite dramatic, but that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. No, I actually, now you've articulated it like that. I feel the same. It had already been a fair journey. It was February last year that we did that episode because it was self-love month in February yeah. we did. Right. So it's a year ago. And I feel like I had already made such leaps and bounds just by doing the podcast with you and talking to interesting people certainly in thinking about leadership and team and those sort of things but not like much life-changing stuff but yeah the last 12 months has certainly made huge difference huge I totally and you I see it like 
I really like you're like a different person <laughs> in a good way so yeah no I think you know I have just so much gratitude to be honest to you and also all the people that we've interviewed because mm. every person we've met has given us something you know mm. even even the death walker which was initially that episode was like what and then like even that's given me something to go what do I want to be remembered by when I'm no longer here in my body yes. like so much insight into everything you've done but she was so surrendered in her life as well, which was such a huge lesson of just not controlling and just the amazing life you can have if you just follow the threads. Yeah. And I think, you know, and we'll hear a little bit about this in Joni's journey as well. But I think as we were just saying before we hit the record button, that both of us can be quite controlling mm-hmm. and we'll just control freaks, you know, run our own businesses, need of control, all of that sort of stuff. And I think we've both been able to let go and step into flow. And that has brought us so much, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Little amazing things have fallen in. Things have just come together, but it's come together with ease because we're not wound so tight. So we're actually celebrating as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) last episode, we did sort of anticipate that we'd have Sheila on for this episode, but we're delaying that for a couple of episodes. So you'll just have to wait for our spiritual intelligence. Uh (laughs) But our guest that Ush has interviewed, and I love when you interview it, not only does it give me a lovely little break, but it's (laughs) lovely to listen to you. (laughs) Joni. Yeah. So She was in corporate working in software engineering in finance, I think she was. And she's also very well-traveled. She's very international, but always had a binge eating problem, always had a body image problem. And so like many of our guests had a rock bottom, has had a transition. She now runs a business all around eating psychology, rapid transformation therapy, and you know brings her corporate leadership to that so let's have a listen so i want to welcome to the iq meets eq podcast someone that i connected with through our dent coaching group joni sito and i have to say the moment i met Joni, there was this instant familiarity connection and we just hit it off didn't we Joni? (laughs) Oh my God, I just remember fangirling over you. Like, so just from the beginning, I was like, oh my God, I've got a new girl crush. <laughs> yes. And that, that rarely happens for me. So yes, it was uh, it was memorable. It was beautiful. So um, Jackie and I have been talking about you for a while now. And I kept saying to Jackie every time we meet, I was like, I need to get Joni on. I need to get Joni on. And then what prompted this was I saw your post yesterday where you recorded a podcast and it flashed up on my uh, Facebook stories. And I was like, right, right this moment, I literally dropped what I was doing to send you an email and it led to us meeting in 24 hours. So. Well, it's quantum, right? This is how it works. Exactly. So welcome, (laughs) Joni. Welcome to our podcast. We're really, really excited to have you. So before we learn a little bit about who Joni Sito is and what you do, tell us a little bit about what you wanted to be when you were growing up. Oh, wow. What a great question. And I don't know that I know, actually. I was not one of those people who grew up and just knew what they wanted to become, who they wanted to become. I think as a little kid, I just always had this little dream world that I lived in. No matter where you found me, I would have my nose stuck in a book somewhere. And I was in 
off in some kind of fantasy land dreaming about a prince and so I think I think that's maybe who I wanted to become is just you know I think I just wanted to be happy <laughs> is that a weird answer yeah oh, that's mm. beautiful and tell us a little bit about your journey were you born in Australia or how did you end up in Melbourne Ooh, so actually I was born in Belgium. I lived there for the first 14 years of my life. And then my parents retired and we ended up packing up and moving to France for a bit. So my parents are still there today. They're just uh, retiring beautifully in this little piece of paradise. But for me, that was a bit of a shock, to be honest, at 14, obviously learning a new language and then kind of where they're in France, it's there's not that many people. It's, it's a bit of a quiet place. And so as a teenager arriving there as a foreigner, that was kind of tough in terms of being accepted and things. So I kind of tried to get out of there as soon as I could. I went, to, I went to uni in a different part of France, but then I think at some point, I don't know, I didn't necessarily resonate too, too much with the French. Uh, I found them very negative. Um, they're lovely people, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're and quite so, good looking, aren't they? <laughs> oh gosh, yes. Oh yeah. And, and they all seem to be uh, able to eat everything and not yeah. put in any weight. And I kind of really stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> so I initially escaped to the UK where I felt a lot more at home. And I know that's where you're from. And so I, I, uh, I lived in London for five years and then that's where I kind of started my corporate career. But one thing for me was always, I, I, I never felt good about my weight, felt really self-conscious. And so again, in dreamland, you know, I thought, oh, what if I moved to Australia where it's always sunny and everyone seems so fit over there and so healthy? And surely if I move to Australia, then I'm going to be fit and healthy and I'm finally going to lose weight. And so that was the motivation. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was my, the true motivation for how I got here. Beautiful. And how long have you been in Melbourne? Six years this week. But I, I came to Australia back in 2013, so a little bit longer, about nine years. Yeah, beautiful. And tell us about your career before we go into what you're currently doing as an entrepreneur. Yeah, so I used to work in, in the finance industry, actually. I have a master's in software engineering somehow. Um, <laughs> That's so different to what we talk about shortly, what you're currently doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very different. And, you know, I was a very good employee. I, uh, I moved through the corporate ladder very, very quickly, became a manager by the age of 25. I had a team of about 40 people around the world. So I guess it was already preparing me in a way to coach people across all different time zones on Zoom. That's actually what I was already doing back then. So, but yeah, it was a very different world and very stressful at times. Mm. And I know when I started my business, I literally remember the exact moment where I knew what I wanted to do. And that led me to quitting my job, my corporate job within days of making that decision. Do you have a pivotal moment that led you to start Weightless? No, it wasn't like that at all. I just, I remember moments of just sitting on the floor in my bedroom, crying of how stressed I was at work. I'm calling up my dad and going, oh, I want to quit. I want to quit. And he was like, no, stay in there. You need the visa. You know, he like literally convinced me to stay. But once I kind of got the, the residency, then I was like, no, I just want to quit this job again, because I thought I was, all my weight issues were related to the stress from work. So I thought if I quit my job and, you know, then I'll be able to 
manage my own time uh, and then I'll get skinny, right? That was again, that fantasy. Originally, when I left my job, I, I, had, I didn't know what to do next. I ended up going to work for an organic food store for a little bit and then even started my own health food store. Again, thinking if I'm surrounded by healthy food, <laughs> then I'll be healthy, only to find out very quickly that I was then a very stressed business owner now surrounded by food. And that really accelerated my binge eating to the point where I was just binging on a daily basis just to cope with the stress of, of everything. And that business didn't quite work out. That was the point where everything came together. So that was kind of late 2017, where essentially my first business failed. My relationship was completely on its last legs because of how stressed I was and how unhappy I was with myself. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't love him or even receive love from that space. And then, yeah, binging on a daily basis. And, but that was also kind of the best thing that happened. You know how this works, right? Because for the first time in my life, I didn't know what the next thing was for me. Yes. And I kind of had to stop and do a bit of soul searching. And it's at that point that I started to like unravel this whole thing about what was going on with weight, with food. And really it's what got me to start looking within. Mm, I love that because sometimes, um, I don't know if you think this is true. I know in, in my career and feeling stressed and, you know, going through the ups and downs of relationships, it's almost like if we constantly stay busy, we feel like it's not going to allow us the time to deal with the issues and concerns and stresses. So we almost continually stay busy, which then exacerbates the problems that we're not dealing with. So I love the fact that you are able to almost pause and go, what is it here that I need to look at? Right? Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your journey with binge eating, um, if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. So just in case someone doesn't know what binge eating is, essentially it's when we I guess a lot of people think that binge eating is kind of defined by the amount of food we eat, like the volume uh, of food, like eating a lot of food in one go. But I actually kind of define it more as feeling out of control around food where you don't want to eat, but you just can't help yourself. And then that brings up so much shame and guilt. And so my whole life, because I felt so self-conscious about my weight, I would constantly be on a diet, always trying to lose weight. But no matter how hard I tried, at some point, there would always be something that just led me to turn back to food, even when I was determined not to. And that brought up a lot of shame. And I would spend, I would eat in secret. So, you know, to the world, I would go to work, I would order the healthy salad, I would bring in my healthy snacks, I would uh, essentially evangelize to everyone about how amazing this diet is that I'm on right now. And then I get stressed and I'd run back home. I just buy a whole bunch of foods, ice cream, M&Ms, order pizza, and just close the door and, and eat in secret. And if I was in a relationship, I would then hide all of those wrappers, go and hide them at the bottom of the bin. Or even um, there's times where I used to put that in the neighbor's bin, for example, so he wouldn't see it, just to really, really try and keep this under wraps so no one no one knew um to be honest even i didn't know this thing was called binge eating i just thought i sucked at sticking to a diet for such a long time so i got a question which i'm sure a lot of our listeners may have and i think we all go through phases of emotionally eating to make us feel happy right i know i've done it and when you've explained that like you've you've explained some some of my habits i mean i haven't gone to the extent of 
putting it to the bottom of the bin. But I've been guilty of like maybe having a stressful day, coming home, wanting to eat something that's really satisfying. It doesn't necessarily have to be even chocolate, right? But just eat certain foods with certain needs that I've got. And then there is that guilt associated with it. How do you know when it's a problem as opposed to when you're doing it just to get through a tough time? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it really is a, exists on a spectrum, I'd say. And everyone, like you said, emotionally eats to some extent. I mean, eating birthday cake is technically emotionally eating because you're eating for pleasure to celebrate something, right? So, so we all do it to some extent, but I think it's, it's for people who, for whom food is really their main coping mechanism. Mm, yeah and that's when it might be an issue because like i always say food is a fantastic fantastic tool to soothe your emotions so few of us learned how to cope with our emotions it's something that we're actually supposed to learn in childhood or normally adults are supposed to kind of mirror uh, like validate our emotions show us how to process that energy through but very few of our parents knew how to do it I mean my dad was born in the first year of, of world war ii in Belgium when they were under active occupancy I mean it's not like they were gonna sit around the dinner table and go oh how, how do you feel today no they just learned to stuff all of that down in order to survive and so that's what my dad mirrored to me at home and we we talked about the positive things and all the negative things we just shut them away and didn't talk about them and but as a little kid when you don't know what to do with those negative emotions you have to find a way to soothe and and food is fantastic for that so I think a lot of people for whom food is their main coping mechanism it, it very often uh, is a sign that they, they've been in some form of emotional distress from a young age yeah Totally makes sense. Can you talk about the cycle, I guess, of, you know, you, you, you feel, I'm going to use the word sadness or whatever it is mm. that you think that we feel that leads to us, that leads to us having to eat, uh, to fill that void. And then the cycle of then the guilt, the shame, but then also repeating that cycle again. Can you mm. explain a little bit about how that might work? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really feel like they're at the root of it. There's there's two main causes. One is kind of how we feel about ourselves. And very often, you know, it's it's we don't we feel a little bit insecure. We don't feel good enough. A lot of us women are, are overachievers. We set like try to hold ourselves to really, really high standards, whether it comes well, like whether it's about our bodies or whether it's at work where we want to, you know, output really high quality work. And whenever we feel we're kind of maybe falling short of that, maybe not looking quite good enough, then you go on, on, on the diet. Right. And, and it's, I think we often confuse how we feel about ourselves with how we feel about our bodies. Yeah. So we're actually not quite feeling good about ourselves within but we look out in the world and we're like, oh, it must be because my body doesn't look like that thin model on TV. Let me go on that diet. And so we go on the diet. And in the beginning, that's fantastic because it gives you a little bit of hope that you're going to solve the problem, that you're going to be able to fit in all of those clothes. You, you, know, you Google how amazing it's going to be to be skinny. And so that kind of temporarily soothes you a bit because you're like, oh, I'm going to feel better about myself soon. Right. You got all that hope. But then you're at work and you know you've got that deadline that you know you're going to meet or if if you're like me you would just put 
25,000 things on your to-do list. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it's absolutely not realistic (laughs) to put all that pressure on yourself. And and whatever it is, there just comes a point where there's some kind of emotional trigger where you don't feel good about yourself. And in that moment, it's so overwhelming that you just kind of not want to be you for a little bit. And then obviously, because we're on a diet, we've taken a lot of the good stuff away, um, especially if emotional eating is one of your main coping mechanisms. Now we've created this bigger void because we've uh, for- forbidden ourselves all these foods that normally give us a lot of comfort. And so then when you do turn to food, you're like breaking all these promises to yourself. And it feels good for a little while in the beginning while you're numbing. But then at some point when all the food is gone, you realize what you've done. You're like, oh, shit. And then, yeah, the shame sets in the guilt. And then that can go two ways. You can be like not wanting to face that again right away. So you might actually just go and eat some more to just numb that a little bit more. I mean, I think at the worst of this for me, there were times where I would call in sick for three days at work because I just was in this. There was one binge, but then... You know, then there was the guilt and then I eat, I ate more and then I couldn't face leaving the house and people seeing me because I was so worried that I put on weight. And so that just that cycle kind of kept going. And then at some point, there's a point where you're like, OK, now I need to go on another diet to make up for all of this. Or I need to go to the gym for three hours and do a double session mm-hmm. to make up for all of this. And then we're back. We're back there again. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It it is that cycle. And, you know, and I obviously I talk about EQ all the time, but it's really, you know, embracing those emotions that you're in and feeling it. And I know I, I, at my most stress, I'm, I turn to food. Like I, I have friends who go, oh, when I'm stressed, I can't eat. And I'm like, Mm. so envious. I'm like, God, I would live a life of stress just so I don't have to eat. Like, (laughs) Like, why do I turn to food when I eat? And I know when I'm doing that, I don't even enjoy the food that I'm eating because I'm not present with my food. No, I'm like watching TV or I'm listening to music and I'm eating, but I'm actually not I'm not even taste. I feel like sometimes I don't even taste the food. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, a, it's, I don't know. It's um, a habit, right? Like yeah. thing. And then your bowl's finished, whether that's chips, crisps, popcorn, whatever. And then you go, oh, like I've just eaten that whole thing, but it actually doesn't feel satisfying. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost if you feel like, oh, I really enjoyed that. Then, then there's sometimes no guilt with it because you're present and you enjoy the food. So yeah, do you, do you find that that's, that's the case as well sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. In that moment, food is just there to numb. Um, Because what food actually does is it releases endorphins in the brain, which give us three things. One, it's pain relief. It's actually the the body's natural morphine source. So it actually gives us pain relief and then it gives us pleasure and it facilitates feelings of love. So all those three things are actually what we're seeking in that moment. So that's why it works so well. It really does. But you're so right. Very often we pair the food with TV. It's literally anything in order to get out of our heads, because I think especially as women who have, you know, women who are very driven and, and, and we were very proud of ourselves when we're noticing ourselves falling short of that hive bar we've set for ourselves, like what's going on in our mind is absolutely awful. The self-criticism, the self-loading, how hard we get on ourselves. It's, it's really harsh sometimes. And, and sometimes the only way of 
numbing the pain of the way we speak to ourselves is through food and tv it just switches that off for a bit so yeah you're you're not of course you're not noticing the food you're not enjoying it (laughs) no you just not want to be in your body for a little while there absolutely and how did you how did it impact your relationship and your friendships when you were in the cycle i'm sure a lot of women will be able to relate to that as well yeah well it was just this part of me that I denied in myself so no one else knew and I think because I felt such pressure to just be this perfect perfect girlfriend perfect employee perfect friend perfect daughter I think I was always playing a role trying to meet up to everyone else's expectations trying to get their validation and approval kind of yeah people pleasing to some extent I'm not sure that anyone really ever got to see the true me I was always putting on a brave happy face and it's tough to create relationships like that when when you don't really ever truly let people see your vulnerable side yeah it's interesting and it's a vulnerable share about myself here I was talking to um, a really good friend of mine in the UK and we were just having a chat about how I'm feeling now you know after leaving my relationship and you know it's been a year that I've you know that's all done and and we're on really good terms and it's all great and he says do you know what he says you were someone that closed your heart off and you weren't yourself for for a long time and I said what do you mean of course I was myself he goes no you weren't he says the person you are now and the person that you're becoming is because your heart is opened and he goes and he it was really good because he says I understand why you closed your heart because it's a way to protect ourselves and I think that's really true and also in the case of this guilt and shame that we sometimes feel around food and weight it's it's almost like we protect ourselves we wear a mask or even an armor sometimes it's more than a mask and then we're like, you know what, we feel safe here and it's our coping mechanism. So we do, I think we do shut our heart off a lot of the time. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest wound of humanity is the fear of rejection and we all have it. And it, it all goes back to, I guess, early childhood and how we learn to relate to our, our parents and family environment. And, and even, I mean, I, I do hypnotherapy re- regression with a lot of women all the time. And we go back to these like, moments where they first experienced some kind of form of rejection that got them to put up that mask that armor that you're talking about and sometimes it's ridiculous how stupid it is I there was once a a woman that I was working with who back when she was two years old she she remembered uh, a moment and obviously she didn't consciously remember that but these these things can come up subconsciously when when we do this kind of work and so there was a moment she was two years old standing in in her nappy in her cot and she just like peed her peed her nappy wet her pants and she was crying out to her dad like come change my nappy and she was just crying 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 she could see her dad there and her dad looks at her and then he turns away and walks away. And in that moment, because he didn't come over right away, she was like, oh, my dad does not love me. There must be something wrong with me. I'm not important enough. And her whole life from that moment on, she put up a wall and didn't let anyone in, didn't let any guys in just because she didn't feel worthy of love. All of because of freaking wet nappy at two years old. So it's like, it's all of us walk around with this in some form or another, but we don't know. And I think, you know, when people say that about us, 
like like your friend for example who says you know you had such a close heart you didn't know that back then right we we just don't know when we're in it but it's like within high like when we start going into this healing journey and become more aware of our emotions and then we look back we go oh my gosh wow yeah <laughs> yeah and it's true we do like when we do open a heart and we're more vulnerable and we are more you know comfortable in the vessel that we're here to live in we do change our relationships change with our children our family our friends everything around changes but you're right when you're in it it's it is a protection mechanism and we don't have the self-awareness that we're doing that and even i think if people had told me at that moment in time when i was so closed i'd be like no i'm not no i'm not i would have been defensive and i would have justified it going but i'm still a kind decent human person but that's not the point i was closed and people weren't able to connect with me for who i was for whatever reason so yeah i think as you heal and i've done so much healing over the last couple of years and you do every time you heal it's another layer that you open up and go oh i've just fixed something and um yeah it's just i think it's a beautiful journey to to go through um before we go into a little bit about what you're doing at the moment one of the things i want to share with people is that one of the reasons i was drawn to your work and what you do, and I know we had a session, I'm gonna talk a little bit about that with Jackie later in the debrief, was that you are real, you know? And I remember you were saying to me, Ush, you know, I weigh the same as you, you know, I'm the same height as you when we were talking, when we were talking about my, my session with you. And you explained something and it was so phenomenal. You said it's because you've accepted that you've been put into this body for a reason to do the work that you do. And I thought, wow, that was like so profound for me to hear. Can you share a little bit about what you meant by that? Because I think it's so important for other other women to hear that. Yeah, so it's it's really funny. You know, even when I started this journey, initially I was like, oh, I'm just going to do the emotional healing work so that I'll lose weight. I get everything. Yeah. It was all still motivated by weight loss, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so and so there were all these different kind of milestones, you know, originally when I when I stopped drinking alcohol, oh, yeah, and then now I'm going to lose weight or then oh, when I'm going to heal these emotional triggers, oh, then I'm going to lose weight and then all of these things changed. And oh, when I start eating healthier more more consistently, which which is something that I started to be able to do because I learned how to heal with my emotions. So uh, on a daily basis, I was feeling better my, about myself, nourishing my myself more. And I was like, oh, now I'm going to lose weight. And then when that still didn't happen, it was like, hang on a moment, what is going on here? Because rationally, logically, when I look at it, uh, I should be losing weight here. And, and that is actually one of those gifts that I feel I was given that in the end, at the end of the day, I never lost the weight. And that's what forced me to learn to accept myself exactly as I am. And, and it was great. There's another thing is like, you know, my husband, I love him, but he's not someone who will ever tell me that I look good if he doesn't believe so. So I never got compliments from him. And I was like, I was so desperate, used to be so yeah. desperate for validation and approval. Yeah. And I was like, you know, putting on a new outfit and then I never got the compliment. But again, it's because I needed it from someone else. I couldn't yet feel it within. And all of these things all came together and they really just forced me to do the work and learn to accept myself as I am right now today when I kind of thought about this and I was like okay rationally or logically I'm kind of doing everything that I felt or used to think I should be doing in order to lose weight so what's going on here and then I kind of started to think about it and I was like 
yeah, but if I did lose weight, I no one would listen to me. <laughs> when, I, when I'm standing there talking about body acceptance and if I'm a size six or whatever, everyone will be like, well, yeah, it's easy for you easy. to say. <laughs> yeah, but I would have thought the same thing. And that's why I was totally drawn to you. And I want to meet you in our coaching week, you know, coaching group. And I was like, shit, this is someone that is so authentic, hard on your sleeve and you, there's no bullshit. Mm. And yeah. that's amazing. Now, does that mean that every so often I don't get a thought of like, oh, I wish I was slimmer or thinner? Of course, of course I do. Because look at the world that we live in. We're blasted with it on a daily basis. On those occasions where the thoughts do set in, I just yet again see it as an invitation to love myself more. Yes. And I think the essence of your program, it's called weight loss, which, you know, I know <laughs> when we're doing our den coaching and you shared that and you shared your, you know, value canvas, I was like, what an amazing name. Not weight uh, loss, weightless. Weightless, sorry. Weightless. <laughs> weightless. Uh, yeah, I should say that weightless, not weight loss. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful name. And it really is not about the weight is what I feel like your whole program, you know, deals with the range of emotions, the journey, uh, all of those things that we go through. And then maybe the end result will be weight loss or you feeling weightless, but that's not your goal. You're not a quick fix, you know, lose 10 kilos in 30 days. That's not what Joni's about. You know, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. Do you want to spend a couple of minutes just showing a little bit about what weightless is? Yeah, because, you know, so many of the women that I work with, they don't actually have a weight problem. And, you know, sometimes we, we can get really upset, right? When you see like a friend of yours and they've just gone on this diet and then they lose a bunch of weight and it's the exact same diet that you've tried and it didn't do anything for you. And you're like, what is going on? Why does this stuff not work for me? And typically it's because we don't really have a weight problem or at least the weight that we need to lose isn't the weight that's on our body. Um, it's really the physical weight on our bodies can be this representation of the mental and the emotional weight that we're carrying. And, and it's an invitation to really see weight and whatever is going on with food as a symptom um, of deeper underlying needs that aren't being met. And so in the program, when I work with, with women, I like to work with women more on a 12 month basis because there's so much to unravel and there's so much we need to unlearn, especially after years and years of dieting. But it's, it's really about looking at why we turn to food because food is just a symptom. The weight is just a symptom. And, and it's, it's about going deeper than that. And that's where actually those of us who do struggle with, with binge eating or emotional eating, it's actually really cool because it's all just a symptom of, you know, a lack of acceptance and love for ourselves, a lack of connection with ourselves and all these different emotional needs that weren't met. And every single time we turn to food, that is essentially a clue that in that moment, <laughs> something's going on. Yes. <laughs> so this is why I think it's so cool because you can start to look at your binges or food cravings as a gift because they're essentially telling you, oh, something is going on in your body. You're having an emotion. I mean, I used to be so disconnected from my emotions my whole life. Mm -hmm. And now every single time I have a food craving, it's essentially telling me <laughs> I'm having an emotion. So now I can do the, all those, those things that I've learned. And so we, we, <sighs> It's really a six-step process that I take women women through. The first the first step is is awareness, um, and and we look at 
what is going on? What are we really craving? And we work on the four hungers, which is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, yeah. and, and really understand try to see what's going on underneath the surface. The second thing is mindset where we take a look at, you know, what are the things that we really think about ourselves and uh, what's going on upstairs in that kind of radio station that's playing through, through our mind on a, on a constant basis and, and start learning how to shift those thoughts. And, and already that massively impacts how we feel about ourselves when we start to speak to ourselves in a different way. And then the third step is we start to look at the emotions and, and, you know, some of that emotional trauma and those emotional hurts that we experienced in childhood and start to, we do a little bit of uh, inner child healing work to, to learn to meet our own needs and, and learn to regulate our emotions. Um, so we no longer need to cope with our, with our emotions using food. And then we apply all of that to body image, making peace with food, and then really starting to live our life. Because I think so many of us who don't feel so good about ourselves or struggle with, with weight and food, we, we, may have a tendency to hold ourselves back in life. We, you don't go out, you, you know, you don't go out to go and buy that dress that you really want to wear, or you don't go out and, you know, go to the beach with the kids. I mean, I've speak to women all the time who send, send their kids to the beach with their husband because they just don't want to be seen, seen in a swimsuit. And there's so many things that we just stop ourselves from doing because we don't feel good enough. So when we start to truly feel good about ourselves from within, there's just a whole new world that opens up for us and you just can start to focus on living your life uh, and I think that's been your experience as well oh my god mine yeah I remember when I did your session with you afterwards and you know my thing was I never felt sexy or comfortable to wear a dress like I wasn't embracing that feminine side of me like you always see me in jeans and leather pants and like that's just me and it was it wasn't because that's how I wanted to look it's I never felt comfortable and then I remember you sent me um the screenshot after our session of the beautiful dress that you said would look really nice on my body and I went and got a dress after that and I love it and I wear it and I wore it on a night out like a couple of weeks ago and and I felt so good about myself so you're right we sometimes need that push out of our comfort zone and I think the other awareness I got like just even looking at your post yesterday of you at the beach you know and you said you know if you don't mind me sharing you know you said that you were you know you were in your jeans uh, no you were in your little shorts and little singlet and you said I'm out there with my flabby arms and my cellulite and it's interesting because we see that but I never saw that in you and I never saw that even in the picture it was it was almost like confronting to read read what you wrote because I was like oh my god is that like what she thinks because she's and all, all I could see was a really strong beautiful woman so I think that was another reminder for me that I took away from your post is that we we feel we look a certain way, but that's not necessarily how other people see us. And, you know, my daughter was a really good example of that the other night and we were going out somewhere for dinner and I was putting makeup on and she goes, mom, she goes, why do you wear makeup? And I was like, oh God, this question again. And I said, oh, you know, to look better. And I was like, no, I shouldn't have said that. And then I said to feel better. So she goes, what? So you feel bad without makeup? You feel you don't look good if you don't wear makeup? And she goes, how about, you go out with dinner with me tonight and we had a girls night and you don't wear as much as you normally do. And I was like, okay then. <laughs> so it's just, you know, and she said, she goes, mom, you look so beautiful without makeup as well. So again, it's what we think, right. And it's not what other people think. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing today. I don't see the flabby arms or the cellulite anymore, but it, only just a few years ago, I would, 
either not have gone to the beach or I would have actually gone in like long pants and jeans. Like the, the amount of times that I remember my mom like yelling at me in summer. She's like, just go and put some shorts on because I was always sitting there in jeans and I used to be so hot, but it was like, just wanted to hide that. Um, so I love that you kind of picked up on that, that you saw that and I was like, oh, I don't see that in her at all because we don't. We don't, we no. We really don't. No. Um, the way we see ourselves is just a reflection or the way like we what we think people think of us is just a reflection of how we see ourselves and exactly yeah and and what's been really fascinating for me in this journey is the more I started to change the way I felt about myself the more compliments I'm now starting to get from people because actually what's within is radiating radiating without and I'm the heaviest I've ever been probably I don't even know I don't have a scale anymore but I I don't like it it's not like I've lost weight and people are like oh you look good because you've lost weight no it's because I'm just radiating from within and that's what people see exactly it's your inner glow it's your aura it's your energy it's all of that beautiful stuff that you are drawn to right yeah yeah Um, yeah no it's fascinating so I've got one more question for you is what advice would you give to your younger self if you could? Mm, is to stop being so hard on ourselves. Uh, really, really oh, to anyone, anyone who's listening. Um, if you start to kind of listen to what you're saying to yourself on a daily basis, you'll notice very quickly how quite often we're more our worst enemy than we are our best friend. And just by learning to be a little bit kinder, more compassionate with ourselves, that can already completely change the way you show up in the world. So, yeah. That is beautiful. Well, I have so much gratitude for you coming into my life, like so much. You've taught me a lot (laughs) in the last few months about myself. You've opened me up a lot more. And I'll share a little bit about that when I do the debrief with Jackie for everyone that's listening who will get to hear it as well. So, yeah, so much love and so much gratitude for you. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And where can people find you or connect with you? So uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Joni Sito or um, check out my website, JoniSito.com. If you do find yourself struggling with food or or kind of turning to food at times, even when you're determined not to, um, I have a really great, great quiz that I put together to kind of help you gain awareness around why uh, that might be happening and, and, and which un- unmet needs there are. And so you can kind of find out what what you're really craving because most of the time it's not food um so check that out at journeycito.com forward slash quiz and yeah i want to say thank you ush like the all the the fangirling right back at you i love you so much and i i love the work that you're doing in the in this world likewise we've got to make an impact right (laughs) so i get to ask you first what did you think (laughs) Well, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. And you actually, when you sent it to me, was like, you're going to love this. And it was, it was really refreshing. It made me think very deeply and it was very confronting in many ways. But you know what I've realized yet again, as much as we parallel each other, and we've talked about this quite a lot, we're opposites in many ways that we operate. We're opposites in money. We're opposites in how we approach various bits and pieces. We're opposites in our disordered eating as well. We are, right? Like totally. And I think, you know, I was talking to a couple of other people, women, 
about this episode and pretty much everyone I spoke to, and I'm talking about seven or eight people, said that they've had some form of this in their mm-hmm. lives, whether they have called it something else or mm-hmm. not even admitted to themselves it's, it's binging, binge eating, but it's, it's happened. And I think Joni's really hit, you know, a really important area in her business where she's just focusing on this one niche and I think she's really really going to make an impact and help so many people that need need this help. So I haven't talked about this very much you've talked about it a little more than me in terms of your journey with weight and things I don't find that it is as much of a problem for me now but I'm willing to share sort of my experience with disordered eating and how I think about it now because I I don't stress eat but when before we even listened to the recording you talked about our controlling nature and when I feel out of control I turn to my diet to control it and that's how I feel like I can bring some element of control into my life so my eating doesn't get out of control when I'm stressed it's the opposite so when I was a teenager I hit puberty fairly early. So it was about 12 that I finished growing and I was sort of done. And so I was bigger than everyone else and I had a full body. And, you know, that was fairly shameful because it wasn't what I was expecting. And so then I had maybe six years of disordered eating after that. So I'm about about a size eight now. I weigh between 60 and 65 kilos. I sort of fluctuate. So from the age of 14 to nearly 18, my average weight was 45 kilos. So I'm about 20 kilos more than I was then. And, you know, that was fairly severely underweight. And it was not, it was not because so much the body image, it was more about how much I hated myself and how undeserving I felt of any pleasure whatsoever. So I removed pleasure from my life and absolutely controlled everything and then also punished myself through exercise. So it was more about self-flagellation than what my body actually looked like. I mean, it was originally triggered because I developed earlier, but it was the shame around that and then the self-hatred which drove then the disordered eating. So yeah, I would exercise four or five hours a day. I wouldn't eat for 48 hours sometimes. And then I would have dinner and then I would go and vomit dinner up into an ice cream container that I hid in the cupboard and then dispose of it into the toilet when everyone else was in bed. So, and when I look back on it, I'm quite angry at everyone around me because it was so friggin' obvious and no one ever called it out or said anything. And so I recently sat with a lady who has a a daughter who's 14 who has just started a similar pattern. And so I sat with her on Australia Day. So listening to this episode sort of, again, like things come around just when you're thinking about this, doesn't it? I'm sort of sitting on the fence at the moment about, because I didn't say anything to this woman about my own experience but about going back to her and saying, you know, do you want me to have a chat with your daughter? Yeah. But anyway, so there you go. That's my experience. And then it's more been about getting over that has been more about loving different aspects of myself so I don't hate myself so much and now starting to love myself because I've always then appreciated my intelligence and the strength in my body. So those things I loved, 
And so then I was less controlling about what I ate and that's have sort of like spiraled me back upwards. But in times of stress, when I feel out of control, I'll control my eating and I will be super strict. So that's how it shows up for me. Yeah. Wow. What a real vulnerable share. And I think, you know, kudos to you for being able to share that and being able to talk about it. And I guess now you can look back on that and go, oh my God, like how far you've come. Hmm. And I think you should totally reach out to that, to that girl. Like you were saying, you know, you, you had the signs and no one reached out. And I think sometimes we think, oh, someone else will do it. And then no one does it. So you should totally reach out to her, maybe even share your story or share this episode potentially yeah at the end of it Mm -hmm. mine's been interesting mine is it's not really i won't say well it probably is binge eating i was saying this to joni i'm like is it binge eating is it not before we hit record and mine would be like not thinking about food and not really being mindful of what i'm doing eating having that mindfulness practice around intention of food and you know you've done that where you've like in the movies right you eat popcorn and you're not you're not consciously thinking about what you're eating it's more of a habit and you don't even want to eat it and you eat it and I think I've had that with with food out of stress but besides the food mine is 100% being body image and I used to watch these shows they were in the UK where it was actually Trini and Susanna oh yes I remember her yeah and do you remember they did this whole thing where they get people naked in this mirror like this Mm. that awful mm. you know almost like a what they call it telephone booth yeah and it's it's fully mirrored and I remember watching that getting like heart palpitations going what would I look like if I was in there and it, and it really scarred me to some extent that show and then you know how they would strip them in their undies and you know how they'd like pull apart and I was really affected by that show like massively to the point that I'd watch it like obsessively and it wasn't really you know about the good it was about the bad and I, and I have this form of, I think it's called like body dysmorphic, but like, you know, you've seen this where you put a row of like 10 women in a, the range of different sizes, and then you have to go where you think you are in that spectrum. In term, And it's not to do with weight, it's more to do with your body shape, right? So I'm not talking about the weight, but the body shape. And I know for a fact where I would put myself is not really if I took a photo where I would be but I can't shift that image it's really really bizarre and I remember like again conditioning and paradigms being told oh you know you would look so much prettier if you were slimmer if you were this if you were that and I don't think it was ever meant maliciously but there was things like that stick and it sort of played and played and played throughout the last 10 years and I self-sabotage it a lot because I don't think I was ever doing it for myself. I think I was always doing it to please someone else. And then I was like, right, I've had enough of this, this horrible cycle of feeling so shitty about myself. And it's like almost like this one part of my life that I, like you said before, right, that I haven't got control over or fixed. I met Joni through our coaching program and we just instantly connected. And I was like, this is the person I need to talk to. Like, she's my person to talk to. She doesn't do one-off sessions. She does like a 12-month program. She goes, I don't think I'm a right fit. And I'm like, no, I need to have a session with you. And I sort of locked her in and that session was next level. She literally fixed me pretty soon after that session where she just unlocked all of those, you know, stories that have been programmed me to feel the way that I do that make me feel like I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough or I don't deserve happiness or success or love because of how I feel I look. And the other big thing was, you know, I'll always do this when I get to this. 
yes. Where we put things off. Mm -hmm. So I, I think she was just amazing. And she's, she had such a deep level of non-judgment, but genuine non-judgment. Like I've worked with coaches before where they say, oh, we're not judgmental. And and you just feel it in their energy (laughs) that they're judging you, even though they're not, their words aren't saying that. And with Joni, it's not like that. And yeah, and she just really held space for what I was going through and didn't let me you know, didn't play into the, yes, you're a victim just because you have these stories. She wasn't like that either. She was holding me accountable to that. And it was great. And I, and my biggest takeaway was where she said that you are in the body that you are because you need to be for a reason and it's healthy and it's giving you what you need. And she's just real and authentic in her social media platforms. And I think that's just, just rare these days to see that. Like it really is. If you follow her, you'll get to know what I mean, but she puts out who she is. Yeah, after I listened to it, I did jump on social media to follow her because I wanted to see her a little bit more. Her bio just has her close-up photo. So I wanted to, because she says, you know, if she was actually skinny and being a weight coach, who would take her seriously? So, and she's normal. Like she's she's just a normal mum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, yeah. just normal. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think, you know, this this thing is, around us like it's in a lot of women Mm. just like the whole silent killer of burnout and stress you know critic I think there's a lot of this inner talk that we suppress I think as women yeah and and my big thing I don't you probably don't have it because you do look amazing but mine was comparison I would literally compare myself to other people's bodies yeah I yeah look I look at other women and think about this or that but not so much from yeah it's not so much comparison you're right it's funny how this lack of self-acceptance shows up in different ways because ultimately it's very much the same beliefs and fears that we have they're just showing up they show up to you because you don't appear a certain way they show up to me because I'm not being a certain person (laughs) Yeah, you're right. But mine, and I think there's healthy comparison, right? Yes. Where you look at it, it makes you motivate, inspires you, it motivates you to go, I want to, you know, I want to do what that person's doing. I'm inspired by that. And I was talking to Joni about this. And I think I spoke about it a little bit in the interview that I just will not wear dresses. And I think they just look terrible and she's like no like you just got to find the one that's right for you and I remember she sent me this picture I got it and I'm like oh my god it looks all right yeah and I think you know we all have that inner story and sometimes we need to be challenged with it and the comparison for me I felt was unhealthy and it wasn't that I was envious it wasn't an envious feeling I was like I was like why can't I have that you were doing it to berate yourself yeah yeah it's like what's wrong with me that I can't do it and I remember seeing someone and I think it was um in an interview or something I saw them and, and they're not famous just a normal business person and you know it's that whole you know I'm a mom I've got this many kids and I run this many businesses and and she looks like freaking amazing I'm like how the hell do you make time to to look after yourself in that way I'm just like there's just not enough hours in the day and then when I was talking to my friend about it she's like but you don't know what she's doing and you know you don't know how many hours she's working in a business she might be able to run her business in 10 hours a week and I'm like that's so true whereas I do 12 hours a day well she could be that skinny unhealthy where you're actually lacking nutrients and actually lacking a whole lot of energy as well because you are judging from an external appearance you're not judging on health at all (laughs) 
No. And that's what Joni was saying, right, about herself, that she's like, she believes that she was, that she's meant to be in the body that she is in for her journey at this moment in time. And that might change later on. But at this moment in time, it's what it is. And, and I love the, like, I'm in awe of her acceptance of who she is and where she's at. I got to admit that I still drive my body a little bit hard. It's it's mainly because I do think of my body in some ways as a bit of a tool. Like I think of it as it's got to perform, um, it's got to feel good, uh, it's got to be powerful, I've got to have a lot of energy. And so I know all the things that I need to be doing to do that. And so that's not about not getting up and going for the exercise. Like I exercise religiously and it makes me feel better. And it allows me to eat whatever I like. And it gives me so much energy and mental clarity. Uh, so, yeah, my, my body is super healthy and, and I treat it that way to make it that way. So in some ways, I guess there is a f- still a fair element of control, but it's not around food. It's probably still more around exercise, but I'm not over-exercising. So I might walk for 45 minutes in the morning and again for the afternoon or I might walk for half an hour jog for half an hour and do nothing else for the rest of the day or this morning I walked for half an hour did yoga for half an hour and that was it for the rest of the day so that's not excessive anymore at all no that's normal yeah it's what a normal person would be wanting to do like exercise for an hour or 30 minutes a day but I also think it happens at the right time it's like you know being an alcoholic or having any form of addiction, you can say to that person, just stop, just stop, just stop. But until you have got your head in that place, no amount of someone telling you, oh, you look fine or just exercise is going to cut it. It's just like, I resent people that say that or the people that say, oh, then, you know, if it bothers you, do something about it. It's like, of course I want to, but there's some mental or emotional block that that is stopping me. And I don't think it is laziness. You know, I think it's it's a lot deeper than that because I... I'm talking about myself, not other women, but like I do other stuff. So it's not like I'm sitting on my ass all day. No, and you get you get up early and very early, yeah. Yeah, and you religiously stuck to that boot camp mm. that you did towards the end of the year coming up to Christmas. That's like I'm um self-motivated enough to exercise what I need to do if I see I find that self-flagellizing for myself now would be to force myself to go to boot camp. <laughs> Yeah. And you would only do that because you get off on that and you want to do that. <laughs> Not because you need it. Like for me, it was, I needed it to get me back into doing what I needed to do. I just think, you know, in, you know, my reflection and takeaway was, I think more women need to share what they're feeling and, and, and ask for help, you know, be able to say, Hey, I'm struggling with this, whether it's weight addiction, you know, stress eating, overeating, eating disorders and go I don't know why I'm doing it I don't know why it's happening but I need help or I need to talk about it or I need guidance on how to get out of this because you know what you're not alone so many people that are coming through right and I mean we're a perfect example of two opposite ways of it potentially showing up but ultimately it still comes back to a lack of self-acceptance at the core of it and I think Joni said at one point something like it's how we feel about ourselves versus how we feel about our bodies, but how that plays together and how it manifests in each person is different. So yeah, talking about it more so that we can relate to others and actually have it out there. Maybe we can help not damage some future generations. 
<laughs> yeah, it's you're absolutely right. And it's what is it, you know, teaching our kids as well about, you know, do we have to hide the way we feel? Should we not feel worthy of love, attention, success, all of that amazing stuff that, you know, is our birthright to have? And how can a body shape take all of that away like if you look at it that way it's like it's just it's just stupid really isn't it yes that something like that is taking away you know your right to feel loved or cared for bad mm. 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 so yeah and no, i think Joni's amazing i think she's gonna help so many people with this and really inspirational and authentic for sure yeah it is it's important work thank you for bringing her on because it's again opened up another aspect of conversation that we haven't really spoken about certainly not deeply no allowed us to share another level as well yes <laughs> <laughs> um so where to from here what's going on for the next couple of weeks um next couple of weeks i'm actually to share with you guys because i'll be ready i've just built an eqa app wow which is like really exciting it's a 22 day challenge to raise your eq and vibration and it's a little bit like 75 hard if anyone's done that but there's like three challenges that you've got to do a day the challenges change every five days but the challenges are like nothing you will have ever seen <laughs> so good by the end of it and everyone can do it whether it's a child or someone in their 90s um and i'm really excited to launch that i i'm i'm hoping it's going to be ready on the 22nd of Feb because it's 22 to 22. It's a 22-take challenge and it's all about energy. So it's actually with Apple now to be approved. I so know. I am like manifesting. So hopefully by the time this episode hits, yeah. we can put a link to the app for you guys as well and do the challenge. Yes. Oh, I hope it is because um, then we can report in about how, what exactly. it's like and like you said you just sort of planted this seed about how different and amazing it is so I can't wait <laughs> mm, it's, yeah it's pretty epic congratulations that's huge yeah it's taken me um, a little while like a couple of months to sort of get it out there and get my ideas there but I'm really really excited for what it can do for people yeah yep wonderful what about yourself yeah I'm still onboarding these three new amazing team members and they are actually amazing <laughs> you know they've just fallen out of the sky at the perfect <laughs> time <laughs> and we've actually found another space for ourselves in Wallen too so we've been dissatisfied with the space we've had there for a couple of years and a new space has come up and so um, we're going to be moving into that it gives us more space to grow because with these three new team members the spaces we've had is now full and so by having this other new space we now open up another two more spaces so there's room for more growth that is epic mm. oh my goodness a new mm. app and new premises i think yeah. like next level <laughs> i know it's only uh, halfway into the second month and um so much has happened mm. it's great super exciting yeah so <laughs> For all those people who really resonated with this episode, we'd really love to hear. We'd love to start a conversation that's deeper yes. this one. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think we're going to put a link to the quiz as well that Jodie's got with this episode because it's really insightful to see what type of personality and stories you've got around this issue, even if people are too 
too scared to openly talk about it, do the quiz and raise your EQ and self-awareness about this topic. Good point. Actually, when I, when we post this episode onto LinkedIn, I'm going to have my quiz results there. Oh, well. excellent. Yes. Love that. So yeah, LinkedIn's a great place to have the conversation. Um, we post the episode onto our website, iqmeetseq.com.au. So quite welcome to reach out to us there. We've had, had a few people reach out to us over our website recently, mm-hmm. but they email. So love that too. Where else can people find you, Ush? I'm at eq.academy uh, on my website, but otherwise LinkedIn's great. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, And if you want to email me direct, it's Jackie at legallywisewomen.com.au. Thank you again for bringing Joni in. What a gift. Mm, Yes. And it's a a nice little set the tone for some amazing, I think, deeper conversations we're going to have over the next few episodes as well. Yes. Well, over the next 12 months. (laughs) Yes. Get people thinking. Mm -hmm. Sure. Good. All right. Thank you. Talk to you next time. Bye.